0: Hi there and welcome to the latest episode, episode number two in fact, of Allegra Lab's new podcast series, mini series, podcast series experiment, Freds, in which we sit down and have a conversation with the guest editors of the latest thematic thread that we've published on the site. And today we're going to be talking about Building Bodies for Thought. And I'm going to let the guest editors introduce themselves in just a moment. Maybe just to say a couple of things for people who don't know what a thread is on Allegra site. It's a little bit like a special issue in a journal, but a bit more special, I would like to say. We really enjoy sitting down and thinking together with um, the guest editors about how to best bring to life the ideas that they want to explore. And because we want to make full use of the affordances offered by publishing digitally, sometimes these threads are open-ended, sometimes they're closed. Often we try to move beyond only having text. In fact, we always try and push our guest editors to do so. And this thread is no different. Apart from some really amazing photographs, you've also got audio inside the thread. And that same audio is going to be heard in the upcoming conversation. So it's not going to be a podcast episode in which you're going to hear a few scholars sitting around discussing some scholarly concepts. Although those are really nice podcasts. I've made lots of them myself and I'm going to probably make lots more as well in the future. But we try to do something a little different, inspired by... The way in which the thread is pushing us to think about different ways in which we can produce or create anthropological knowledge. We are going to include readings from the contributors to the Fred. These readings take the form of hundreds. Um, hundreds is a writing technique developed by Berlant and Stewart. Um, it basically involves using exactly 100 words. Um, or multiples thereof in writing I'm not going to say much more about it than that apart from that you're going to hear them many times throughout the podcast and I'm going to put a link in the show notes about all of the readings that you heard in the order that you heard them rather than have me interrupt the flow of the podcast by doing that Myself. So, this is an invitation to you all to lean in with your thinking, creative, open bodies um, to try something a little bit different um, from a scholarly podcast. And at the same time, it's a request to please check out the show notes as well so we can have proper um, credit where credit is due, um, which works, I think, much better than me simply reading out all the names even at the end, um, because, well, let's be honest, you won't remember them, and I will mispronounce them. Okay, uh, enough of me. No, really enough of me. I've edited myself out of the conversation completely. So in what follows, you're just going to hear the contributors and the guest editors of the thematic thread building bodies for thought.
1: Soft orange warmth and comfortable coolness. I'm at the mercy of the sun and shady entities. I'm grounded, but I can rustle, absorb, grow, and breathe. I'm never alone. Around, in, and on me are the sun, ants, larvae, and birds. The bird aids me by spreading my seeds, but it also has its own agenda. Its nest rests on a branch close to my trunk. And that's okay. It's nice. Even though it doesn't serve my purpose in itself. But still, it has everything to do with me. I'm never without the forest. I do not control my connections.
2: My name is Aya Smith and um, I'm an anthropologist. And uh, I guess I specialize in... um, I've worked with multi-species anthropology and the latest few couple of years I've been working more and more with how the body affects knowledge production. So I'm really interested in questions of how does the researcher's body affect um, what we come to know about the world and how it's expressed as well. So it's both in terms of fieldwork and analysis and um, writing or whatever means of expression you use. My name is Lina
3: Delsgård, and I'm a professor in anthropology at Aarhus University. And throughout my career, I've been interested in the role of the body and emotion in anthropological work, both in method and analysis. And I've also worked with uh, experimental writing or just questions about writing ethnography.
2: I met you at the end of days. You said it was cancer, though I thought it might have been the new industrial complex they built next to your home a few years before, but it didn't matter, and so I sat and said nothing. You told me that you weren't scared, and I said that I was glad about that. You were climbing a leaf, and I saw you crawling, your big bug eyes so scared, so when I reached out to crush you, I tried to be quick. You were the last of your kind.
3: We both went to a workshop in Oslo a long time ago. Oslo University, the anthropologist there, uh, arranged the workshop with Kathleen Stewart and we went to a beautiful place in the mountains and we wrote hundreds together with Katie for a couple of days. And we both, we were inspired by the method and we loved uh, Katie's work in general and we wanted to Um, explore what that format could do also in relation to the subjects we were interested in, like the body uh, multi-species and understanding uh, more broadly. And then we got funding for a small uh, project where we could uh, work together, Aya and I, um, a project we called Embodying Academia,
1: Bloody ocean, bloody veins, streams leading to extremities, stretching out far and returning to center, renewed, reformed by each breath inside, each breath outside. We dance, we touch, we move into waves, we sing with voices not stoned by fear, not alone within our skins. We really want this, and the castles of the words tremble, for seconds, even minutes at a time, beings, branches, grasses, winds and fires, we shed one skin after the other. Oceans of blood, rivers of bones, we stretch our arms, stretch them further, we jump out of standing and into the under
3: wonder. We called it Embodying Academia because we wanted to look for more bodily uh, ways of working together, uh, also methods to use body, bodily uh, experiences, emotional experiences in our work.
4: My body is alive. I live with my body. I live in my body. I live as my body. I am my body. I meet the world and others with my body, and together we dance. We intertwine and allow ourselves to be influenced, shaped, changed. We're not the limited physical objects, but malleable in the encounter with others, with something else a cold tile floor, a word. Sometimes I forget, but I will remember that just that feeling is also a part of my lived and living body. A part of the body with which I am and do. And then was the experimental part
2: where we wanted to test out and experiment with different methods for getting at this bodily and effective stuff that happened mm. in field work. Mm. And bring it into analytical work, but also for preparing students differently or better for being buddies in different fields. So right now there are lots of wonderful methods courses where you're taught interview techniques or how to do participant observations, what to be observant about. But the fact that you are a, a private person and bodily and person who is put into whatever field and has to deal, you have to deal with that kind of uncertainty that comes with suddenly being somewhere else and people and beings and forces and mm-hmm. weather and the world responding to you in ways that you didn't expect. It, that We don't have any training for that, for kind of being with that sort of uncertainty that Thank you we. have to deal with as yes. an anthropologist.
5: There's a Pelagonium house plant on my windowsill. So I move it to stand there myself. The leaves touch my arm and leave a lemony scent on my skin. Outside, a woman walks by. Is it silly that I stand here on a windowsill? Extending towards the sunlight, I hit my forehead against the window and my elbow against the wall. I feel my biology holding me back. It is not comfortable to stand on a windowsill. The white painted wood beneath my feet is cold. It provides no fertile ground for sprouting roots, no foundation for growing, for sensing the imitation.
3: I think the simple, uh, one thing is, the simple trick of giving yourself an obstruction helps. I mean, you have to focus on something else than being smart academically. You have to focus, <laughs> focus upon reaching uh, 100 wor- words. And the other thing is that um, I think we got it from Katie and we brought it uh, on to the others. Uh, you have to be concrete when you work in this way. Um, not add a lot of theoretical references. You can do that indirectly, but uh, you, you work with concrete observations um, either of something happening outside or inside yourself. And in that way, um, you put these different impressions together, almost like a montage.
6: Touching. A finger touches and depresses a key. Flesh against wood, wood against plastic, against metal, metal against molecules of air. There is sound. More fingers touch more keys. There is music, which touches ears and gets into bodies, and is said to be touching. Marius Kozak proposes that music be considered a temporal object. Can sound materialize in this way, appearing, disappearing, and reappearing? Seemingly, if a body is touched and the touching leaves traces in the memory, something has done the touching. Is this kind of touching encompassed by François Couperin's phrase, l'art de toucher le clavecin? Listening. I listen and I hear music, now, today. Viola de Gambist, Jordi Saval, plays early music, although he insists he plays only contemporary music. I listen and I hear music, now, today. But I am touched by music that has been touched by another time, another place, another world, the past, a past that was once present, in which people grappled, as we do, with existential questions. Robert Macfarlane says that we read old paths in the then, but walk them in the now, surrounded by the debris and phenomena of today. Is this how to play earlier music? Walking. Playing is like walking. I am a playing, walking, listening body. I walk from my old university room to my library desk, re-walking a path I first walked years ago. Then the path was new to me. It did not reveal its memories, nor exhibit any disturbing debris or extraneous phenomena. Now, years later, I notice all of them. I'm surrounded by gates, grills and barriers constructed then, experienced now. Who was denied access then? Who is denied access now? If playing earlier music is like walking an old path, shouldn't I change how I play, how I touch?
3: They actually somehow create an idea from the bottom and we know we should work bottom up as anthropologists there's nothing more than a Boring Than Grounded Theory, <laughs> where you start from your mind to sort things out in boxes. Working bottom up this way is much more really drawing from your roots, from your, all that stuff which is in there, the memory of smells, uh, the way a sudden sound suddenly evokes a memory of the whole city or something like that. And then uh, you put this stuff together. And then as Katie also writes somewhere, or Katie and Berland in in the book they have on hundreds, suddenly you miss five words. And uh, just because you're missing five words, you drop something on the page and you realize these are significant five words.
2: Part of the reason why the way that we've used hundreds has really brought the body into the writing is that we have worked before we use yeah, the hundreds important. as a method so, so they're one of several methods so we've kind of cultivated or sensitized our bodies through different methodologies before then introducing the hundreds as a way of kind of capturing and mm, yeah, giving a form to all of this Effective bodily experience stuff that we were working with.
6: Concepts are substances, material, fleshy, and sweaty. Drawing discussion score. End with a big sheet of paper spread on floor with markers. Everyone draws writes together for seven minutes. Then we talk about what we drew. Each change of pace, each pause, each medium undoes our patterns and our understandings, which are too pat Repeating is iterating. Timing, pace, slowness matters. Just as the way we think about anatomy changes how we move, how we move shapes how we think and discuss. And otherwise, academia and world should be experimented with. Drawing, then talking, changes how we share and who shares.
2: When you begin to tune into um, the bodily and affective aspects of your thinking, of your ana- analysis, of your academic work, it, you realize how affected you are how you affected your thinking is, how it affected you are in, in so many ways that you also realise how unaware you are of how affected you are by yeah. other forces than yourselves. Exactly. So by that, of course, it's all the conversations you have with your colleagues. It's the text you read. It's the calls you get from panels or conferences. It's uh, an academic concept that keeps on continuing to haunt you or... Um, in some way resonate within you, but it's also how the sun rays touches your body and it suddenly makes you melt into a different position that allows you to think something differently or it's the, the person that you saw riding their bike up the hill and the way that they were breathing or the, the weird glance that you got from your child when you left them at the kindy. <laughs> All of those different ways in which the the... The body, the world impresses on your body that affects you in ways that you cannot entirely grasp, and that destabilizes your own thinking. So, who's doing the thinking is really a question of where does, how, how is, how are you affected by everything else than what you think is you? How is does your body not end at the skin? and your thinking does not end at your brain. Like you're, you're connected in all of these ways because you're an effective being that takes in all of this different stuff in ways so that you can never really account for. It.
5: The stitch markers cling together as chains and clusters. Never rows, never structured or systematized. They tangle and and untangle as tiny rhizomatic networks stretching across generations and national borders, as transactions of time, as transcending rights violated by transgressive acts, hidden but still tensely present in the bodily reservoir as a capacity to feel, to hold back, push forward, hold tight around the line of flight is taxing. She who was lost is Mark in the bodies of the families, in the softness of the forest floor, in the statistics, and the seasons covers the traces that once were.
7: I hear only three things. First the birds singing, then clicking keys, followed by a fly, No wait, I hear something else. I hear a crow. A crow doesn't sing. It tries to speak our language or tries to teach us to really experience the sound ka. That's how it gave itself its names. An English crow, a Danish cow. That crow is so devoted to teaching us the car sound that it doesn't want a name for itself, but wants a name together with the other crows, trying to teach us to experience this car sound back to
3: the keyboard. When we go to the field, wherever it's our hometown, because we go to the baker or wherever we go. When we go out into the world, we bring our concepts with us. Either they are native concepts or they are academically trained and inspired by our readings. And that means that what we see and what we hear is already conceptual. Uh, But when we start then from what we see and what we hear and what we feel and what passes through us without us noticing it, uh, we explore our own conceptual world already. And we move towards concepts um, from that much more diffuse, uh, intuitive uh, ground and that means that we get the underground of the the underbelly of the concept somehow in motion we begin to be aware of what do i actually mean by a relation what does it, even the sound of the word what does it tell me and what does it relate to <laughs> And in that way I get the, the more of the concept somehow into my field of vision or into my field of understanding. So that's one way uh, also to explore that my idea about relation may not be the same as Aya's idea about relation when it comes to all the, the extras, the reverberations of the word and so. The other thing is that uh, um, I begin to to understand that I may not know what a concept means. I mean, I may not know what understanding is, I may not fully understand what understanding is, understanding as a concept. Mm-hmm. So what is understanding actually? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think that's also a way of destabilizing. Opening it up, opening it up for question, questioning, exploration, mm. um, trying to feel it as long uh, along with the thinking, trying to embody it really, to 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 begin to yeah, just explore it. You can move every uh, every letter, and you can explore in your body how a letter sounds or reverberates in your body, and you can try. Mm. To express it somehow, just to explore, what does a K actually do to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, not not the word, not the sound K, but the
4: why. It's like a wide, open closure, either soliciting an answer that stands, definite and disappointing, or calling forth a silence, a non-responsive assertion able only to leak into thin air. The mind's constant readiness to find patterns in any kind of glimpse, landmark or encounter, in pebbles thrown on the concrete in front of the mall, in the bundle-like feathers of a decaying swallow on the barn floor, in the sentences dropped in space here by two people passing by. Could we only stop editing the world and worlds within us, allowing them the right to be opaque, hesitating, tender.
3: Sound is also rhythm because between every sound there's a space and they create rhythms and rhythm uh, works directly on our breathings and breathing means affect and emotion and in that way sounds are like songs. Uh, they they sing they sing our bodies in a particular way, and you can feel that when you read a text. There's a rhythm in it, and it works upon you directly. So you may also, when you sit there and fiddle with your words in in your hundreds, realize that when you swap them around, a different kind of uh, song is created. Uh, and That's where we get close to the poetical language, where feeling is also built into the text,
5: uh, just by way of rhythm actually. Knitting heartbeats, crafting theory. You know, when you run so fast that your heart is thumping in your chest and others only see your chest rise and fall. When you run so fast that you hear with your entire body Your pulse so loud it challenges your blood vessels and becomes a rush in your ears. And if someone puts an ear against your back, they will hear the heartbeats, but not sense the loud rhythmic pounding, the rushing and the thumping. They won't know how this experience of running enters your bodily archives. And then you're not even scared. You've just been running. During the kindergarten's annual theme week about the body, we realized that the boys used a range of words to describe their tissen, while the girls simply said tissen. With loud voices, words, laughter, humorous glances and smiles exposing their teeth, the boys' bodies extended into the room. The girls' bodies folded back, as if into a secret unknown. They looked at the boys, at one another, there smiles inside their mouths. Afterwards, we asked them, if girls Thyssen were to have a name of its own, what would that be? A flower, one suggested. The heart, another one said.
3: And in a way, the thread is a beautiful example of that, <laughs> because it's a mixture of voices uh, weaving together and i and i have been extremely inspired by all the contributions and the efforts that people and engagements that people have put into our shared work so yeah it's really a common thinking yeah it's a gift to be allowed to work like that it's such a gift